We turn in sacred scripture to Isaiah chapters 43 and 44. We begin reading at Isaiah 43 verse 14 and read through verse 8 of Isaiah 44. The text is verse 25. And it will be profitable to keep our Bibles open to this passage of Scripture. We're going to work through some of the verses uh, that lead up to the text as well. So it will be helpful to see that with the Bibles, with our Bibles open. Isaiah 43, starting at verse 14. Thus saith the Lord. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans, whose cry is in the ships. And that language, whose cry is in the ships, simply means they are arrogant, they are boasting. I am the Lord, your Holy One the creator of Israel, your king. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tow, as strands of a rope. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls. And I think the word dragon in this particular case refers to jackals, an animal in the desert. Because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense, That means I don't demand too much. I don't demand anything extravagant. Thou hast bought me no sweet cane with money. Neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that... Blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance, 
Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. If you have any merit, if you have anything to show for yourselves, show me. Thy first father hath sinned, and thy teachers have transgressed against me. Therefore I have profaned, disgraced the princes of the sanctuary, and have given Jacob to the curse, and Israel to reproaches. But we can't end there. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. And Jeshurun is a, an affectionate name for Israel. It means upright one, describing her ideal character. That's how God looks at her. And that's his affectionate uh, name for his beloved bride, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the watercourses. One shall say, I am the Lord's. And another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who, as I, shall call and shall declare it and set it in order before me, since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is verse 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this whole section of Isaiah, especially Isaiah 40 through 45, is a very comforting and encouraging passage of Scripture. If you ever need to sit down with Scripture and just Read comforting verse after comforting verse after comforting verse. Isaiah 40 through 45 is a good place to go. One thing that especially characterizes these chapters of Isaiah is an emphasis on the sovereign, unchanging, unconditional grace and love of God. Over and over, God tells His people, I am the Lord, Jehovah, your covenant God. I am your creator. I am the Holy One of Israel. I am your Redeemer. I am your King. And I will not let you go. Though you are sinners, though you have not chosen me, though you have not chosen to honor me or serve me, nevertheless, I have chosen you. 
You are my people. You don't deserve it, but you are my people. And I will glorify my name and showcase my mercy and showcase my faithfulness in my dealings with you, my people. You are sinners. But I am the God who is gracious. And I am the God who has chosen you. I am the God who loves you. And I am the God who forgives you all your sins. Well, that's what we have in the text this morning. And that's what God says to us as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning. Though we are sinners, He is our God, and He forgives. We take as our theme, our transgressions blotted out. First, we look at the announcement, that this is an announcement. Second, we look at the meaning of the words. And then third, we look at the motive, also mentioned in the passage. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. The first thing that I want to draw your attention to this morning is the fact that this is an announcement. This is a proclamation. This is simply a declaration. God does not say in the passage, I am the God who is willing to forgive sins. God does not even say, as he does in other passages, I delight to forgive sins. No, but God in this passage simply announces it. He proclaims it. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thine iniquities. God's sovereignty is being emphasized and his sovereign grace is being emphasized. And I want you to see that that's what characterizes this whole passage that we read this morning. It's not just this verse. Over and over, God is telling his people, don't fear, don't be afraid. I am God, I am your God, and I will do fabulous things for you. Things that are humanly impossible, especially from your vantage point right now in captivity. Now we see this already in where we started the scripture reading in verse 14. This is where I said we were going to walk through this first part of the passage. In Isaiah 43, verse 14, God says, For your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships, who are full of boastful words. That's the idea. They, they, they boast in their ships. Now, these words are very striking. And, and it's very striking when you just understand Isaiah's own prophetic perspective. Because in this passage, the Babylonian captivity hasn't even happened. Isaiah is speaking about 150 to 200 years into the future. He's speaking to God's people as he sees them in the future in the captivity. And, and Babylon is going to be a great world power. Babylon is going to crush every nation that stands in its way. And, and Babylon is such a world power that it, that it seems that there's no way that Babylon could ever be destroyed. And here in Isaiah 43, God says, I will do it. Not just I will send Babylon to bring you into captivity, but he looks even further and says, I will destroy Babylon again for my people's sake. That's what he's saying in verse 14. And in verses 16 through 20, God says, I, remember what I did in the past. I who made a way in the Red Sea who parted the Red Sea and delivered my people from Egyptian slavery. I will also do a new thing, and I will now make a way even in the desert. 
And I will cause rivers to flow in the desert. And I will bring my people back from Babylon bondage through the desert. I will do fabulous things for my people. I will do things that will cause the whole world to stand in awe. And God says in verse 21, I will do such things. I will do such things for my people Judah because these are the people whom I have chosen. These people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise, my glory with all my mighty acts in saving my people. I will showcase my own power, my own grace, my own goodness and show how I am worthy of praise. That's what he means. I will show forth my praise. Then in verses 22 through 24, there's a shift. In verses 22 through 24, God says, but why should I do this? For the reality is, my people have sinned grievously against me. Verse 22, Judah has not called upon me. Judah has not worshipped me. Judah has become sick and tired of worshipping me. I'm a burden to them. Verse 23, Judah has not brought me their sacrifices. Judah has not brought brought offerings to the temple. And, And I didn't make it burdensome for Judah to bring me sacrifices. I didn't weary them by commanding them to burn incense. I supplied them with everything they needed. But they took those things for themselves. And it became a burden for them to worship me. Verse 24, Judah didn't bring me sweet cane. That means Judah didn't offer God the sweet-smelling incense and the ointment that was part of the sacrifices. Neither did Judah offer the fat of their sacrifices. If Judah did offer any sacrifices to God, it was the sickly, it was the diseased, and the skinny animals. They gave to God in a very stingy fashion. And God describes all this so that by the time you get to verse 25, you are expecting God to say, I, even I, am he that condemneth thee, that condemneth thee for all thy iniquities. The way that the verses lead up to verse 25, that's, that's how you would expect it to grow. But instead, God says, but I, even I, am he that blotteth out all thy transgressions. And the point is, as is the point of this whole section, it is all of God's sovereign particular grace. God simply announces it. I am the God who forgives you. You don't deserve it. You certainly didn't earn it. There's no reason in you that I should deal with you this way. But this is what I do. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions and will not remember thy sins. God simply announces it. And beloved congregation, that's also how God deals with us this morning and at the Lord's Supper. God does not come to us at the Lord's Supper and say, now clean yourselves up so that you're good enough to come to the Lord's Supper. God does not say, I would forgive you if you in this past week would only make yourselves better. Not at all. God instead simply announces it. He proclaims it. He says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. And God, as our God, simply announces it and then commands us to come and to eat and to drink and to remember and to show forth His praise even in the remembrance of what He has done for us. God says at the Lord's Supper, this is who I am. This is what I have done. 
I have chosen you. I have made you my people. I have redeemed you from destruction. I have created you as my people. I've worked in your hearts a true and living faith. I have worked within you a true sorrow over your sins. You hate your sins. I've worked that in you. I have given you to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. I, the Lord, do all these things. And God says, now I also draw you to the Lord's Supper to taste and to see how I sovereignly, freely bestow my love and grace lavishly upon you. That's the point of the emphasis at the beginning of the verse. I, even I. God is the one who does this. Not anyone else. It doesn't depend on you in any way. This is something I do. And I alone. And that's what God does in the preaching too. God simply announces to us who we are as his people. And who we are. And who he is as our God. God says, just like he did to Abraham... I will establish my covenant with you. Not, I want to establish, not will you join with me in the establishing of this covenant. I have established a covenant with you, a relationship of friendship with you. God says, I will maintain that covenant. It's my covenant, and I will perfect that covenant. Now, come to the Lord's Supper as my people, and enjoy my covenant, and enjoy this relationship of friendship with me, at the supper table. Beloved, that's the reality of our salvation. And I think we need to live in the consciousness of that announcement more and more. I think this is where we struggle, perhaps. This is why we, we delight in the Lord's Supper. This is why every Sunday again we, we delight to go to the house of the Lord to hear these things. And, and this, is, this is perhaps somewhere... We're something that we struggle with because this is so different than what we are used to in this life. You know, it, in our lives, there's a saying, there's a motto that goes, nothing is free, right? That We even teach our children that, right? Nothing is free in life. And, and maybe we are so proud by nature that, that we don't even want anything to be free, right? If someone gives us something, oh, no, no, no. Uh, let me reimburse you for that. Because that's how we work. That's how we think. But what we all need to understand and appreciate this morning is this. God's grace is free. It's free. And it's irresistible. God says, you are sinners. You are unworthy. You have made yourselves indebted to me. But I freely give you my grace. I freely give you my riches. All those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And this is our privilege and joy, living as the adopted children of God. God freely gives us salvation in Jesus Christ. And when we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, that too is what we are confessing. That's the humbling thing about coming to the Lord's Supper. That's why we come in a disposition of humility. Because we confess, I haven't made myself to differ from anyone else. I'm no different than any other sinner, but this I confess, God has made me his child. I have been given a true and living faith. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I do hate my sins and I'm sorry for them by the grace of the Holy Spirit. God has given me his free salvation and I must confess that and live out of that reality and come to the Lord's Supper to enjoy him and this relationship he has established. 
So this is what we emphasize, first of all. This is simply God's announcement, God's proclamation. He is our God, and He shows us grace. That's the announcement. Now let's look at the meaning of these words. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. The text uses two words, two words to speak of our sins. First, the word transgressions, and second, the word sins. The word transgressions emphasizes the idea of rebellion, right? We've transgressed, we've stepped over the boundary, we've rebelled against the boundaries God has given us. And the word sin, you might be aware of, emphasizes the deliberate turning away from God and doing uh, what God does, not, the opposite of God's commands, turning away from God's commandments. So both these ideas, both these words, have the idea of rebellion, rebelling against the obligations God has put upon us. God has given us obligations. God has given all mankind obligations. In Adam, God gave man the requirement to love God and to serve Him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. But man rebelled. He revolted. And fallen man always rebels. And that's the reason these words are used is because that's how it was with God's people in Old Testament Israel and Judah. God made them His people. He redeemed them from Egypt. And then they revolted. They rebelled. And that's the same with us as well. With all our many sins. That's what it is, beloved. It's rebellion against God. We shrug off the obligations He gives us to do. And, and, and that's our sinful nature. It's a rebellious sinful nature. And the result is that we become guilty. We've broken God's commands. We've fallen into debt. And we become liable to punishment. We, we stand exposed, stand worthy of punishment. We must make up for our sins. We must make payment. God is just. But the fact is, there is no way for us to make up for our sins. By nature, all we are is corrupt. By nature, we don't even care about our sins. And left to ourselves, there is no way to make up for our sins. But rather, we daily increase our debts. And God would have no problem filling up a book the size of Isaiah or the size of the whole Bible with a list of all the ways that we've sinned against Him. These are our sins, our transgressions. And yet, what does God do? What God announces in the passage is that He blots out our transgressions. He remembers our sins no more. And so we look at that language. He blots out our transgressions. The idea there is this. He wipes away. It means to erase. Think of a book full of all your sins, a ledger book in which all your sins are recorded, a, a record book. You know what a ledger book is. You, you keep records of things, especially statistics maybe, numbers. And what does God do with that ledger book? He erases all our sins. Every pencil mark on every page of that ledger book is erased so that the ledger book of all your sins is empty. Every record in the book is blotted out. The ink if it's written in ink, the ink is blotted out with the sponge, you might say. It's gone. But there isn't even the remnant of the ink that's still in the page. It's gone. And then to emphasize the point, at the end of the text, you have Hebrew parallelism, right? Where the second half of the verse repeats and expands on and, and further communicates the idea in the first half of the verse. Hebrew parallelism. 
And that's where we read, and will not remember thy sins. And it's the same idea. We might say, how is it possible? How can God forget sins? Well, the idea is God forgets them in this sense that they're no longer written in the ledger book. Our sins have been erased and therefore God doesn't hold them against us anymore. That's the idea of him remembering not. He doesn't hold them against us anymore because there's no record of them anymore. So there's nothing he can bring against us anymore. He forgets them. He will no longer punish us for our sins. That's the idea. And we might say, how is that possible? How is it possible for God to forget our sins? As we know, God God doesn't forget. God doesn't wink at sin. Sin is an attack on God's own glory and honor. God is a jealous God, jealous for his own glory. How can God simply forget our sins? Well, God remembers our sins no more because God uses the blood of his son Jesus Christ to erase the record of our sin from the ledger book. God forgets our sins because instead of holding all our sins against us, holding us accountable for those sins, God, in grace, transfers all those sins to Jesus' ledger book, right? Imputing them, young people, to his account, his legal record. And Jesus bore the punishment. And Jesus suffered his body to be broken and his blood to be shed. He suffered the punishment our sins deserved so that the handwriting of our sins that was against us might be blotted out. His blood was what washed away the ink from the pages of God's ledger book so that our sins are erased so that they're no longer remembered. He hath made him To be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And what does God do? God simply announces this reality to us. God says, this is who I am. This is who I've made you to be. This is what I've done as your God. You see, beloved, that's what the name Jehovah emphasizes. He is the Lord. This is what God does as our Jehovah God. We don't deserve any of it. But this is who we are. This is what God wants us to remember this morning. In church and at the Lord's Supper. This is what God has done with us. This is who we are as the church of God. God is devoted to you. He's chosen you. He's created you as his people. He's drawn you to himself so that this is your reality now. You are a Christian. He's made you his own, and he will save you as his own, and nothing is going to separate you from his love. God blots out all our transgressions and will remember our sins no more. And now finally, we should ask the question, why? What is the motive for God doing this? Why does God deal with us in this way? Well, the answer, as the text says, and as we sang earlier, right? Help us, God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name. For thy name's sake, come and save us. Take away our sin and shame. He does it for his own name's sake. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my 
own sake. And the point is, God doesn't forgive us our sins because we've made ourselves to differ. God doesn't forgive our sins because, oh, we've cleaned up our act now. We've made ourselves worthy of it. No, there's nothing in us. We are sinners. But God says, I do this for myself. I do this for the sake of my honor, my reputation, to showcase my faithfulness, to keep my promise, to fulfill my purposes and my desires. God says, I have chosen you, I have made you my people, I have formed you as my people, not not because of anything in you, but to showcase my grace, my faithfulness to my promises, my mercy, My power among the nations. Yes, God loves us. God loves us. That's why he chose us. Because he loves us. But the reason he does great things for us, the reason he forgives our sins, is not because of something he sees in us, but of himself. That's God's unconditional love for us. His own desire to make himself happy and glorify his name. As God says in Isaiah 43 verse 21, This people have I formed for myself. They shall showcase, they shall show forth my praise. And that's comforting, beloved. That's what you want as part of your doctrine. Because the reality is, you know it. If even one thing depended on us, we would spoil it we would fail because we are sinners. But God is gracious. And in Jesus Christ, he has provided the once for all sacrifice for all our sins. And the Lord calls us to come to the Lord's Supper this morning to remember. To remember the death of his son, Jesus Christ. To remember his great works. To be reminded of who he is as our merciful and gracious God. And to remember again It is finished. The full payment has been made. And then to remember Christ's death to the glory and the praise of God. God, even God, is the one who blots out our transgressions for his own name's sake and will remember our sins no more. Amen.